Hello and welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. This is Charlie and Ken for a change. Um, it's been a while since we've had a little chat, just the two of us, Ken. So uh, it's going to be nice to catch up today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. It's uh, It's been a while. So Ken has been a few places, but one of the places he's been is a place I know almost nothing about, and it is the Seychelles. So today I'm just going to do a little interview to find out a little bit more about his trip and about the Seychelles. But uh, where are you right now, Ken? I'm in this country that few folks have probably heard of called the United States <laughs> of America. It's, uh, it's in the Western Hemisphere. It, yeah. it's, it's not an yeah. island. It's quite a, quite a large continental landmass. Uh-huh. Fairly wealthy. Yeah. Healthy food? Healthy and delicious. <laughs> Healthy and delicious food. Yeah. Great. Back home. Sort of, yeah. What goes around comes around. Look at that. How about you? You are you're still in the Neotropics, right? I am in the Neotropics. That's a it was a fairly safe bet. Um I'm in Costa Rica right now. Pura vida. Pura vida, see, and I guess we're going to be chatting about that at another point. But um, yeah, it's nice. It's it's nice to be on the road. It's nice to be bouncing around. It's nice. It's nice that travel is getting easier. I don't know. I think that might not have been your <laughs> experience recently, but for me, you know, the last few countries that I've been to now haven't required any tests, and um, it's been pretty plain sailing. So yeah, it's um, it's exciting. It's nice. It's nice to feel things are getting back to normal. So no testing on either end, um, before or after arrival? Nope. Wow. Nope. I think the only testing that I'm going to be doing from now on, I think, is when I go to the States in a couple of, uh, couple of weeks' time. So uh, that still requires a test, but uh, pretty much Latin America, many places don't require any tests now. You fill in, a, you fill in like a, a formulario de salud, like a health declaration form. Um, and yeah, that's about it. So uh, that's, that's neat. It does feel like uh, this Ukraine war, as terrible as it is, has kind of ended COVID in some weird way. It certainly provided cover for governments to kind of yeah. quietly do away with a lot of their COVID restrictions. Uh, I feel restrictions. sorry for the Ukrainians to, uh, to help us out like this, but uh, Boy. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's a terrible situation. But um, anyway, I guess time will tell how it all, how it all ends. It's quite depressing, really. Yep. Yep. So, um, let, should we jump into the, the Seychelles? You, you know what I know about the Seychelles? What do you know about the Seychelles? It's in the Indian Ocean. Am I right so far? Very good. Very good. And there's some big tortoises there. Two for two. Yes, nailed it. <laughs> that is literally all I know about the Seychelles. Yeah, well, the I, Seychelles, I they uh-huh. it's a group of islands that are essentially north and east of Madagascar in the Indian Ocean. Actually, weirdly quite close to Diego, where I lived for many years. Well, this weird thing about the Seychelles, there's a whole bunch of islands. Like many of these island nations, there are many small islands. Uh, I believe there are hundreds in the Seychelles, but there are two distinct groups looking at the origin of the, uh, the islands. There are the, I guess, like coral, coralline Seychelles, which includes Aldabra. And those are, you know, coral reefs, the kind of typical like mid-oceanic islands. But then the central or the main islands are are called the granitic Seychelles. And they are actually 
they're granite as the name suggests and they're little tiny shrapnels of Gondwana land that somehow broke off somewhere between Madagascar, Africa, and India and ended up in the middle of the Indian Ocean. But very, very unusual if, if people who've traveled a lot start to think of small islands where they've been, especially in the middle of the ocean. You won't think, you won't recall any granite islands. So no. extremely unusual geologically. Are there any kind of remnant things that didn't come by sea are they in those those granitic islands? That is a really good question. I, guess, I, I well, I guess a giant tortoise wouldn't. Of course, well, I suppose it could have done on a big raft, but uh, you'd you'd think it unlikely. Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't know the answer <laughs> definitively. I would certainly think that if botanically there must be stuff whose origin was sure. uh, yeah. ancient. In terms of animals. I suspect not if it's analogous to Madagascar. Right. So yeah, I, I guess it's, it's certainly one of these weird, very remote islands where everything has had to colonize. And so it's low diversity, but high endemism when you look at the, the wild animals. You know, have a weird hodgepodge of stuff. So I, I guess I'll start at the beginning. I mean, how, how did you end up in the Seychelles? Yeah, I had to leave Madagascar because my visa was expiring. So I had to go somewhere, uh, and that in itself was a bit of a challenge, a bit of a long story. But <laughs> at that time, there were very few flights operating out of the country, and so I had to book a flight to France. And I didn't know what I was going to do when I left the country. A friend, uh, my friend Noam, who I interviewed at some point, I traveled with him in Angola. He had a trip planned in the Seychelles with a couple of his friends, and he invited me to join that. And that was appealing because those those are the last Indian Ocean islands that I haven't been to yet. So uh, it's one of these things, you know, I've been using this Indian Ocean Islands bird book for the past 15 <laughs> years, and I've seen virtually all the birds in that book yeah. Save for the Seychelles endemics. So yeah. I really wanted to see them. I certainly, I was keen to see them before I left the region. And, you know, I wasn't living in the region anymore. It's funny because I had a few opportunities to go to the Seychelles. There were times when I needed to leave for visa purposes or, or whatever. And there actually used to be a direct flight from Pana, the capital of Madagascar. But I, that just never worked out. It was never quite the right time. And so I ended up taking an, an incredibly uh, circuitous route to get to the Seychelles. <laughs> so I cobbled together this plan. That, so I had me leaving Madagascar and flying to France. And from there, I flew to Noam's place in Israel. He lives in Tel Aviv. So I actually spent about a week with him in Israel. Um, and we'll definitely chat about that in a future podcast. Israel was a whole whole nother world uh, incredibly fascinating place like way way more interesting than I anticipated but after about a week there then we flew down to the Seychelles via Ethiopia Ishi. yeah we spent a week or eight days in the Seychelles met up with his friends birded travel around between a few different islands you have to travel around several well you there's a minimum of four islands you have to visit to try to okay. see all the endemic birds so we've uh -huh. certainly visited all four of those islands and went, went back to israel after that for just over another week 
and then I went to the States, where I currently am. Bouncing around in a, in a random, uh, almost seemingly random uh, pattern, the very strange thing is while I was in the Seychelles, so my wife is in Tana, the capital of Madagascar, she and I were equidistant from our former home in Diego at that point. Even though I'd come all the way around, up into the northern hemisphere, up into winter, and then down, crossing the equator again, it was very, very weird. It was hard to kind of, un you know, feel our <laughs> yeah. proximity at that point. Where was she? Was she in the south of Madagascar? She was in the capital. In the uh, capital? Tana. That's yeah. as far from, yeah, from it's, it's Diego as you. It's around so. 700 kilometers or so. Yep. Huh. Uh, so are the Seychelles uh, independent? entity or are they still a colony or what? Yeah, they're they're definitely independent. I believe they uh -huh. achieved independence in the seventies. It's from, from uh Britain. But oh, it's one of these weird ignorance, yeah. places where the first colonization was by the French. And somehow okay, that sort of it kind of stuck. And I believe it was taken by the Brits around 1800. It, right, they also took Mauritius around the same time from the right. French. Yeah. But somehow, despite almost 200 years of British colonization, they're still fundamentally more French than they are British. I, I had an inkling that it had an interesting flag, and I just pulled it up on the internet, and it's got these like it's kind of like rainbow-colored diagonal kind of little blocks. It's quite a it's yeah. A it's cool it's a great flag, eh? It's mm. there's so many boring flags and there's so many flags that are sort of green and red and white or blue and yeah, red yeah. and white with like vertical bands but Seychelles yeah. just really mixes it up it's quite a quite an attractive flag so what, what else is there to know about before we uh, <laughs> before I start no, uh, and, uh, asking you about the birds ask away well I, I'll, I'll tell cool you about the people and stuff around there. the people yeah tell me about the people the um, I I guess the islands were uninhabited prior to colonization, which is, you know, that's right. quite unusual. But like is, yeah. like Mauritius and Rodriguez and Réunion. So the population is referred to as Creole, like mix. Uh -huh. And it's a mix of, of Malagasy, African, and Indian for the most part, and, and some European. So... One of the things I really enjoyed about the Seychelles is it, it's one of these places where you just see every kind of appearance or skin color, but they're all Seychellois, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of issues about you know different types of people. It just seems like everybody's they, accepted. Do they sort of intermarry, or do they keep in their own groups, or how does it work? It's, it, just, it really seems quite mixed up. Like right. It really is Creole. <laughs> it really Creole. mixed up. <laughs> I mean, one of the, I really enjoyed meeting, we met uh, a, a couple who runs a boat, like a tour company. They do charter fishing okay. and then visits to some of these okay. offshore islands. And But the guy, the, the, the man looked, he looked like he was probably French, but he spoke right. English with an Indian accent, a slight Indian <laughs> accent. And then his wife seemed to be like uh, Seychellois of more Indian yeah. origin, but you know, they both were just very, proud to be Seychellois and they weren't they didn't seem real conscious of the you know whatever mix of people had gone into them so I, you know I thought that was great um, in general what do the, people speak then people speak French English it's the language is actually Seychellois Creole 
and it, okay. it is a mix just like the people it's a mix of of different languages so that we just that was fascinating to to engage with this creole it's mostly french mm -hmm. but the right. spelling has been radically changed really. and it, it's the spelling is actually honestly far more logical and intuitive than than french spelling but to someone who knows french spelling it is very funny and i was sending my these right. like road signs and stuff back to my family and they were they were cracking up they about the Cracking up. <laughs> yep. It, it's like basically if you told like in a, an English speaking kid a French word, you know, Seychellois or Creole is like how you would write it. But there's also there's other elements to the language. Um, I, I definitely picked out some Malagasy words. There are other sort of uh, Bantu words and other apparently other right. words from Arabic. And so, yeah, it's one of these really kind of cool mixed languages. Wow, that's pretty neat. And... Is it quite a is it quite an expensive place? I guess it's a sort of big tourist haven, isn't it? Beach holidays and things. Yeah, very very expensive, especially by my kind of Malagasy <laughs> calibrated standards. Very yeah. expensive. You know, Airbnbs are going to be a minimum of around a hundred and fifty dollars for a couple people. Really. Um, oh. Food is very very expensive, especially in restaurants. Right. It's it's a weird place because the local people are not particularly rich. If you look at uh, per capita income and stuff, right? They're not very rich, but the whole the island's economy is very much kind of calibrated for tourists at this point. And so some local folks that we talked to said, "Well, we can hardly afford to do anything on our own islands here because everything's yeah. priced for tourists." So yeah. there's been this boom. And it's, I think it's the majority of the economy now is tourism, which is certainly benefiting everybody in some way. But at the same time, it almost gives people this weird feeling that they almost don't belong on their own country. And, and what do people eat? I mean, do they produce anything there? I guess they probably eat fish. Are there any fruits or yeah, the, it's, vegetables? It's a grow? crazy island in terms of of tropical plants in general it, it just like every domesticated tropical plant in the world is there kind of growing half wild along the roadsides and and you have like every fruit every tropical fruit in the world is there there doesn't seem to be a ton of agriculture in general and not yeah a lot of imported produce and food in general is, is there a staple that people eat rice or potatoes or the famous, I, I don't fundamentally know that actually, what's the staple there. Right. I know people eat a lot of fish, but the famous cuisine uh -huh. is, the, is this Creole cuisine, which is uh -huh. kind of French. Right. My little experience with it, with it suggested it's a little bit overrated. We, we kind of, <laughs> the people I was with and I came to the conclusion that it was like really good marketing and it just sounds so good. Like if you have a, a fish fillet, it's... Delicieux. Yep. <laughs> 15 euros for a fish fillet, but if it's a Creole fish fillet, it's 27 euros, the sort of thing. Right. <laughs> if, uh, if any Seychellois are listening, perhaps I am vastly underrating your cuisine and maybe my experience was just insufficient to really judge it. Maybe it's, maybe it's really wonderful. Maybe you need to go into somebody's house and, and eat, you know, yeah, family, some, some family, family cooking. Huh. Interesting. So you... You hopped around the different islands. Were they all pretty much equivalent, or they have a different feel to them? Yeah, they actually had very different feelings, which 
uh-huh. that was a pleasant surprise. You you yeah. think maybe the diversity will be relatively low when you get to these islands in the middle of nowhere, but the three main islands that we visited all had very different feel. Um, it's I actually think the islands, although they're relatively close together, they you know there might be eighty kilometers between like uh, Pralin and Mahé. And when you're talking about the middle of the ocean, that's a pretty big barrier for, you know, for the diffusion of species and, and such. So there's actually a lot of things that are that are not found on all of the islands. And, and so most notably is the a, a tree you might have heard of, the Coco de Mer. So it's it's like a huge kind of coconut tree. Right. But in the it has the largest seeds of any tree in the world. And they're, they're these enormous things with like a double bulge. And they really look kind of strangely like a female crotch, which is, is quite oh. celebrated by the islanders. Is It's kind of like a little bit naughty, the, these, uh, these coco <laughs> de mer. But uh, th- those only grow on, on Prelin, not on, on the other islands. And so th- there's actually right. these weird forests growing on granite where many of the tallest trees are these huge uh, coco de mer uh, and those forests just have a very odd feeling it's unlike anything i've seen before <laughs> on on mahe you have most of the forest at low elevations is gone but you would have had like right. typical lowland type rainforest there although again it's growing right on granite with big boulders and stuff but then you go up and there's actually some big mountains on even though it's a relatively small mountain and you have cloud forest up on those mountains, which is cool, you know, mossy and moist and, you know, the typical kind of cloud forest thing. But all these, all these forest types, there's just, they're growing on granite. And so you just tend to have uh, big boulders everywhere and you know, like rocky really? streams. And then you actually have these spectacular sheer cliff faces and other areas of just large extent of bare granite still that hasn't really been colonized by plants. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it just gives these islands quite a, a rugged and continental feeling, which is quite <laughs> odd on tiny little specks of land in the middle of the ocean. Interesting. I, I'm, I'm sort of looking at the, the list of birds and it's a really weird mix of kind of, well, there's not that many for, for starters. And then what there is is like sort of seabirds or shorebirds. Then there's a few kind of Madagascar birds. And then there's just a very few um, endemics, but I, but I also noticed that it looks like there's been a few extinctions, Seychelles parakeet and things like that. Yeah, a couple extinctions, although not nearly as many as as a lot of oceanic islands Mauritius. like Hawaii yeah. or Mauritius. Yeah, sure. those places are boy. In Mauritius, I felt more a sense of loss than anything else as I as I moved through that place. Yeah. It was just like, uh, what other place has its iconic animal? is something that is extinct, you know, the dodo. That's the thing yeah. on all the t-shirts and stuff in Mauritius. It's pretty weird. So Seychelles isn't isn't quite that depressing. There's a couple, there have been a couple losses, but they've hung on to most of the original stuff. And it's not, uh, I, I wouldn't say the, the, the bird list is doing too much for me. You know, there's like a few white eyes and a, and a sunbird and a little foodie and a bulbul. It's not, uh, they're not like super exciting. Um, very charismatic species, are they? I mean, it's 
Yeah, definitely for somebody who's invested a lot of time in the Indian Ocean region, they're exciting, yeah. but they're not, it's not like Birds of Paradise or something that's just going to inspire, yeah. like, I have to go to the Seychelles, that kind of thing. There are a couple quite nice birds, really, and, and actually a couple of the birds were far better than I anticipated. The um, This is a fun thing about exploring like the diversity across a region. A couple of the birds, yeah. if you look at them in the book, they seem like very close analogs of Malagasy yeah. species. So a good example is the Seychelles bulbul. You look in the book, it just looks like, okay, this is almost indistinguishable. Like, can I even know that this is a different species? When you actually see this bird, it is stunningly different from the Malagasy bulbul. It's, it's way bigger. And it has these weird vocalizations that it usually given as a duet. And it, they actually remind me of uh, some of those African woodland kingfishers where pairs will duet and kind of flick their wings open. That's, right. Yeah. And just even the behavior really, really different. So, yeah, that was kind of a fun discovery to realize just how different they were. It's It's just evident that they've been evolving on their own track on those islands for a very very long time but i guess they would share a common ancestor i know some of the birds i mean madagascar is interesting because you know they things have come from different directions some from africa and there's a few things that that look like they're more of a with an asian origin but um and i guess one of the theories was that it's sort of island hop down so i guess things it, it might have been a source of uh of, of birds coming into Madagascar at a point, things coming from the Seychelles. Definitely, yeah. It would have been one of those, uh, yeah, transit points Source. from India or whatever. Yeah. Huh. And uh, so you, you you went around. I see there's a, I see there's a like a, a kestrel. That sounds pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, an incredibly dainty little kind of buff, really? buffy-breasted kestrel. Kestrels are these uh, mini falcons for folks who don't know. They're just like like small falcons, and you get different kestrels all around the world. But yeah, quite a quite an unusual tiny little kestrel. So the first the first kestrel we saw was on a wire on a uh, electric wire next to a bulbul, and the bulbul was bigger. So that was a good introduction to Seychelles birding. Really, a massive bulbul and a tiny kestrel. I see there's a parrot as well, Seychelles parrot. Is that one of these kind of like black ones, like a, like the ones in Madagascar? Yep, yep, quite similar yeah. to the, especially the lesser Vaza parrot in Madagascar, right. although tiny, it's like a miniature. It's, uh, you know, it must be maybe 60% the weight of the lesser Vaza parrot. Really? So for some reason, you just get this a lot on islands where things become tiny or huge. I, I don't... Huge, yeah. Yeah, they can... Yeah go either way and i don't i don't know what exactly drives that dynamic but yep yep parrot went tiny i i know that there's a story behind the the scops owl because i remember you were telling me that it was quite a a difficult one to see and you you sort of um you use some modern owling <laughs> techniques <laughs> thermal scopes to to find it one of the people we were with uh philip had just recently bought one of these thermal imaging scopes. So this was the perfect chance to try this out. Um, even with the thermal scope on our side, this was a very difficult bird. I think it's endangered or near th near endangered or something like, you know, it's, uh -huh. th it's got this uh, IUCN status and 
there may only be a couple dozen of these things left and even that aside they just seem to have very elusive habits in terms of not responding to calls and yeah most people seem to struggle for this bird and, and we did struggle a bit but on our second try we had one calling quite close to us and philip was able to locate it with the thermal scope before we turned on the light and i think that's often the problem with very elusive owls is you know you start casting about with the light and you just flush the thing away and you don't even realize it so we were right we, we figured out exactly where it was i actually i got the thermal scope he, he passed it to me and i was able to see this bird very clearly i mean it was kind of like glowing red and orange and then when and I, I could see it vocalizing i could see its throat expanding and then the throat was like burning red it looked like lava because really? it was a bit hotter you know the hot air was coming yeah. through the vocal cords it was really a weird way to see a bird and if i hadn't seen it in the spotlight it would have been kind of a weird thing to think about like well i guess i count this not that i really even list but it's like yeah i've seen yeah. the bird but in a very different kind of way but i was able once i had a bead on it i was able to just turn the light on and just be right on top of the owl and sometimes that kind of freezes an owl in place and, and sure enough it yeah. just stuck there and we had fantastic views so that was uh oh and you, and you know what yep you know what ken um so i'm i was in i just came from ecuador and there was an owl that i hadn't seen in ecuador i tried many times to see it and also you know um my friend Keith, uh, we went together to look for this thing. And we went out and we also had a thermal scope. And and again, we were looking, we, we found one and it was calling. And I was looking and you could even see it sort of turning its head in the thermal scope, just perched out like that. But the, the problem was that it was really misty. Um, and so we sort of took down the thermal scope and then sh shone the light and you could barely make it out because it was just so misty that the, the, the flashlight was just hitting the mist and just kind of reflecting so you could hardly see the thing, you know, but so the thermal scope was by far the better look. But again, it, it was sort of, I, um, I, I might have, if I'd have only seen it like without the thermal scope, I, I would have had to sort of, um, decide whether or not to count it or not because it was a terrible view but i got, actually got a really good view through the thermal scope of, <laughs> of it so I, in, in the end i just decided to, to take it interesting so this owl it's another thing where you just look at it in the guide and you think oh that looks like every other scops owl but when you actually see it <laughs> it's very different and the call is very weird it sounds like a frog if i just heard that really? sound in a tropical forest i would say definitely a frog and, and the weirdest thing of all is that it has bare legs um upper legs you know so like uh -huh. virtually every owl in the world has feathered thighs uh -huh. this one for some reason has unfeathered thighs um, it, so the old name for it is actually bare shanked scops owl and uh -huh it's actually very striking when you see it in the field like yep right. uh, those those shanks are bare it's just so weird you know you get these weird things on islands like why did that why did it develop that way on those islands when every other owl in the world has feathers on the upper legs the, the scops owls are an interesting group because they, they all look pretty similar you know there's not a huge variation but like you said that you know the vocalizations some have got very very different vocalizations and their behavior sometimes as well and some 
some can be quite easy to see and other ones are an absolute nightmare yep so, uh, indeed uh, it's actually the the Comoros islands are they're interesting islands there's so there's four big islands all roughly equidistant from each other and each one has an endemic scops owl and each really? of those scops owls is just very different in almost every way <laughs> like one of them is is almost diurnal and and they all have completely different vocalizations and habits and uh kind of cryptic diversity again like you say they all look similar in the book but yeah. behave and vocalize very differently so what uh, what other things did you see apart from birds? I mean, I, I, I guess you saw the uh, the giant tortoises. What's the story with them? Yeah, I, as I understand it, they used to be far more widespread on, on those right. islands, but they were almost extinct, and then I think they've been reintroduced to right. some offshore islets. And uh, yeah, we saw we saw a few on on one of these offshore islands called uh, Cousin, which it's managed as a sort of a nature reserve it's it's rat free so it's a good place for some of these nearly extinct endemic birds and then i guess it was also a natural place to have these tortoises but wow they would the tortoises were really impressive the, really? It, we, we saw a couple females at first and they were enormous and then right towards the end we saw a male these things weigh hundreds of pounds and wow they're just incredibly impressive beasts did you ever go to the galapagos no i haven't been never been there uh, I was just I was curious how they compare in size to the Galapagos tortoises. I think they're similar. I, yeah, I think, you know, there's a few of these giant tortoises around the world, and I think they're all quite similar in size. Right. I know in the Galapagos, at least, there was different subspecies on different islands, and they had different um, sh shape of their shells. Oh, really? And some of them, you know, often with tortoises, the shell shape is different from males and females, and they sort of complement each other. So when they're sort of mating... The, the shells kind of fit together and then some subspecies can't actually physically mate because the shells don't don't kind of <laughs> link up kind of interesting one i mean back in the galapagos yeah there was this famous tortoise um that, it was a final individual this lonesome george that was from uh one particular he was the last individual of a particular subspecies I think he might have passed away now but he was i don't know it was like two or three hundred years old i mean it's really ancient individual yeah incredible how long lived these big tortoises are it's funny you think some of these individuals might have seen these you know these sailors like hundreds of years ago they remember when it was still a french colony yeah <laughs> they're confused by the change in language yeah. <laughs> you know what the the sailors in um they they used to take these and and because they, they can survive without food or water for ages and they, they, there was like a it was a way to keep fresh food. You know, you would grab a tortoise and you would keep it for weeks and weeks at sea. And then when you run out of food, you just eat one, you know. So I don't know if they suffered. Uh, definitely, from, uh, yeah, I think it was the same, sailors, yeah. same story. I'll just quickly tell you about it. my two favorite birds, uh, endemic sure. birds, of course. We, we, saw, we found 10 endemics, but my favorite two were, there is a, well, my favorite three were the, the owl, which we already talked about, and then uh -huh. there's an endemic magpie robin, and that's quite right. a weirdo. We we're talking about how things on islands often go miniature or huge. Yeah. yeah. This one went huge. It really must weigh twice what the the Oriental or the Malagasy magpie robins weigh. It's just a, a monster. It's almost like a pitta. 
and it kind of behaves right. like one. It's like more upright posture. And it's also weird because all the other magpie robins have very distinct male and female plumages, but this right. one, uh, their male and female are the same. Again, it's just weird. Where, you know, how does this stuff happen? <laughs> yeah, so the, the magpie robin was fantastic. Really enjoyed that. And then the other group bird, uh, my favorite, was the Seychelles Paradise Flycatcher. Okay. This I kind is... of glossed over those. I, I was just assuming that they would be... Uh... They're very similar. Similar to the Madagascar ones. But yeah, yeah, completely different. So the Seychelles really? male is completely black, but with... Oh, my God. Like... I'm looking at a picture of it. Velvety, like uh, purplish-blue glossy highlights. It's just an absolutely stunning bird. Uh, and then the female is also very different looking, uh, like, like black hood, chestnut back, and white underparts. Very, very sharp and good-looking bird hmm. that the all-black male is just a stunner yeah, the first one I saw it it, cool. it came in right at eye level and it was just breathtaking it was just like wow really? what, like what a bird <laughs> I mean it really would wow. be in consideration for if we redid our, our top 20 or 10 or whatever you know really? it, would, it would be something I I would think about yeah it, it just blew me away it was wow what a bird the iridescence looks amazing sort of blue and kind of purpley amazing velvety texture yeah i'm looking at a picture of it right now it looks very cool and again it's just enigmatic like why did this paradise flycatcher on these islands become all black when there's all these other ones in the world that are all kind of rufous and white and just bizarre inexplicable so i mentioned that we saw 10 endemics we missed one that we could have seen at least in theory which is the seychelles white eye it seems okay. to be almost extinct. It exists on a couple of offshore islands, but they're quite inaccessible for various reasons. Uh, Historically, there have been some on the main island. And there's a famous place to look for this bird, which is called uh, La Misère, the Misery. And <laughs> this place really lived up to its name. So we ended up, we visited six times and we spent almost 20 hours birding this place and we we really were uh les miserables it uh we we never found this bird we we never definitively heard it it was very frustrating i mean it's it's honestly it may be the scientific name is actually zosterops modestus so you know it's the modest white eye it it really may be the the most boring white eye in the world, which is saying something because it's not the most electrifying <laughs> family. Interesting family. No. Yeah. But you're on the Seychelles, and certainly after you've invested 10 hours, you really want to see it. And then we spent another sure. 10 hours and did not find it. Apparently, it's almost extinct on the main island, and there it might, the last few accessible pairs might actually have been trapped and translocated to an offshore island recently. Right. It might not have even been there anymore. It might not. Yeah, at least we told ourselves that to to uh, feel better <laughs> about missing this bird. But, uh, it was it was one of these funny birding things where you know most most people come as tourists to these paradisical islands and with beautiful white sand beaches and they swim and snorkel and dive and lounge around on the beach and we're driving up into essentially a subdivision called the misery and just tromping up and down through the neighborhood for hours on end to find a little gray bird it was like 
you have to kind of embrace the absurdity of it. A little it. bit masochistic. Then. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think everybody <laughs> in the neighborhood knew us by the time we left. It's like, oh, yeah, it's those guys again. Everybody everybody yes. kept telling us, oh, yeah, the bird is here. The bird is here. Uh, really? And then every time somebody would talk to us, they would give us an earlier time. They would be like, oh, you need to be here at 6. And the next person would be like, ah, oh, oh, no, at 5. And then somebody said, like, 4. It's like, 4 is like wow. 2 hours before sunrise. I don't think that's going to help us find a white eye. So you, you mentioned most people come for the beaches and the snorkeling and the diving. Did you do any of that stuff as well? Well, I did not. Um, one of the mm-hmm. folks we traveled with skipped a couple of our sessions at the Misery and enjoyed okay. some white sand beaches, which really, in hindsight, was in quite, hindsight. A, quite a good choice. <laughs> um, I was I was very I was trying to set up some snorkeling. You like, you like your snorkeling, eh? I love snorkeling. Yeah, absolutely yeah. love it. I was you trying chose Misery instead. Yeah, I chose chose misery. That's usually the way to go. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, so quite enjoyed time in the Seychelles. It was, uh, yeah, kind of more distinct and different and interesting than I anticipated. Really enjoyed seeing those endemic birds, that's for sure. I had some good travel companions, so that's always a good thing. For the natural sound, to wrap up this episode, we will play a recording that I made of the Seychelles Scops owl, a uh, very weird, froggy owl. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, as always. Um, a special thanks to our, our patrons on Patreon and, and other platforms. We greatly appreciate your support. Um, for anybody who is willing to give us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or any other platforms, those really help us uh, get a little bit of traction and visibility for the podcast. So we, uh, we really appreciate those reviews. Thanks again. Uh, catch you next week.